here. We're live with another First Impressions podcast. I am Kristen, and I am joined by Maggie. And Hi. we have a special guest today that I am excited to introduce, Sarah. Hello. Sarah Pesci of Lopped and Cropped Editing has been kind enough to join us and come on the podcast so that we can talk more, do another episode in our series about Jeff, Jane Austen fan fiction. And Sarah and I know each other because she's just an awesome Twitter tweep that I follow, and we're always liking each other's comments, and she seems awesome. And one day she's like, I would love to go on a podcast. And I was like, guess what? I have a podcast. You're on. And so we get to talk about Jane Austen fan fiction, and I'm so excited about it. Me too. And I love talking about Jeff, so I could do this for a really long time. So, you know, cut me off if you need to. Well, hopefully you can talk about it for about 90 minutes, because that's usually how long we shoot for. Check. <laughs> Done. I can definitely do 90 minutes. So Sarah, a little bit, tell us a little bit about your background with Jeff and, and your editing business. So I've been an Austin fan for a very long time. I think I was probably 14 or so when I first read Pride and Prejudice, and it's been one of my favorite books since then. I also was 14 about the time that the 95 Pride and Prejudice came out. So it was, you know, a very formative moment for oh, me. Oh man, you are like the key demo for that yeah. show. And like all my friends were into it. And I remember I, I still have the VHS tape that I taped mm -hmm. it off of A&E. And I like, we watched it at school. It was a whole deal. Oh my God. <laughs> um, but I didn't really get into Jeff seriously until I had been in fandoms before, like for a long time. So I've been reading fanfic in general for a long time. But I got into Jeff after getting into the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. Oh, I love the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. Kristen, have we done an episode on Lizzie Bennet Diaries yet? No, we have not. Okay, oh. we need to do that. So Sarah, yes. let me ask you a quick question. Let me interject with a quick question. Yes. Um, when you say Jaff, Jane Austen fan fiction, can you just talk really generally, what does that entail? What does that cover? What counts? Um, to me, that is any written work, any story that uses Austin's characters um, to tell another story. And so it can be um, a variation, which means it's sort of like a what if story. So what if this thing had happened? What if this thing didn't happen? Um, so there's that possibility. It can also be like a sequel. It can be a retelling of the story in a different era or moving it somewhere, changing something up somehow. I personally don't consider stories that are like inspired by Austin's life to be Jaff specifically, mm -hmm. but some people do. Um, to me, it is like using those characters. Okay, great. Thank you. Okay. So Lizzie Bennet Diaries was a huge fan, read literally all of the fan fiction for it on Archive of Our Own and was like, okay, I, I have literally read to the end of the internet on this. Like, so people wrote fan fiction about the Lizzie Bennet diaries. Oh, yeah. That is, so it's just layers of layers. It, there's and, layers and layers of Jaff, for sure. For people who don't know, Archive of Our Own, do you want to just quickly explain what that is? Yeah, it's an online space, basically, where people can post their fanfic in any fandom that they're interested in. Usually it's written fic, but sometimes it's fan art. Sometimes it's pod fic, which is people recording other people's fanfic and wow. posting that up on there. It's a huge 
nonprofit organization that works to protect fanfic writers. They won a Hugo Award last year. Like the entire archive won a Hugo Award last year. Like they're an awesome space. And it is a space where people do write Jaff and do post Jaff. Oh, excuse me. I'll be back in about 36 hours. <laughs> oh, a lot more <laughs> I have to go read everything on the site immediately. <laughs> oh, it's like, it's a, it's a rabbit hole. Like you can just keep going down, down, down. So I went to Pride and Prejudice fanfic from there and discovered this entire world of Jaff and realized very quickly that I was never going to run out of material ever again. Um, like I was always going to have fanfic to read because it's a fandom with a lot of in institutional memory. So it's been around for a long time. The fandom is highly organized, highly loyal, tight knit, and there are people who just have formed a community around Austin and these characters and all of the writers and readers who make up and, and keep the, the sort of Jaff engine going. And so that happened right after, right after my son was born and I spent many like nights up with him, feeding him and also just like staying up reading like all of the Austin fanfic that I could get into my audio. So let me ask really quickly, were you ever on, did you ever go to the Republic of Pemberley and read the fanfic posted there? Because I think that was before Archive of Our Own ever started. And I just, yeah. that's where I encountered Jane Austen fanfics. I'm just really curious if that was the same for you. Um, I definitely read stuff at the Republic of Pemberley, but the place where I generally go most of the time is a happy assembly at meriton.com. It's a you have to have a member have a membership to read in there, but it's free, obviously. And it to me is the best place to read Jaff online. It's again like a very highly organized community. There's lots of interaction. Um, there's comment threads, so you're constantly like interacting with the authors of these fanfics. There's places to learn. There's places to like share research knowledge. And I really love that community there. So that's where I spent most of my time. Republic of Pemberley has been, it's still up, but it's mostly defunct now. Like, I don't think people have posted there in years. Um, but back sure. in the day. Oh, Kristen, you're so was, behind the times. Uh, well, no, I, but that was when I was, for, like, when I was 14, I was going to Republic. That's why I asked. No, it's just, but. Wait, they had the okay, so, when you were 14? Haha, ha, you're older uh, than me. Okay, yeah, Sarah, <laughs> let me ask you a question. Let me ask you to just repeat it. So it's meriton.com. Yeah. And the, yeah, so that's where they host the, is it called something like assembly rooms or something like that? That's really cute. A happy assembly, yeah. A happy assembly. They are very cute, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> they are. They're very cute. Um, no, that's really cool, but I'm, I'm fascinated by the description of it as sort of like this living organism where everybody's co-building or like crowd, crowdsourcing in a way our understanding of Jane Austen stories. Yeah, it has definitely helped me remain a fan because I feel like in a fandom, like if you're a fan of a TV show, once that TV show is off the air, the fandom kind of like peters out for the most part or like like the initial excitement around a fandom is going to be like super high and then it's going to peter out. But with Austin, it's because this community is there and because there's so much that you can do with these stories that you never 
it never gets old in a way and it never gets tired. There's always endlessly something to do and to, and to read. And that community is a big part of it. Like I've made, I've made tons of friends just in like going on this site and reading their stuff. It's crazy. Like it's and, and amazing and wonderful. Well, it's been 200 years. I don't know if we'll still be having Harry Hermione shippers writing fanfic about Harry Potter in 200 years. So <laughs> I think it's safe to say that it's, you know, withstood the test of time in terms of relevance with story. Yeah, Austin fans will always find sort of the, the Austin fandom will always regenerate itself, right? When more people read the stories. But I think that now the internet gives us this this incredible power to sort of supercharge it in a way like you're saying like you read, read the six books for for people who aren't as obsessive and as I am and want to reread the novels all the time maybe they they do need that material to keep them hooked in or could just want not need but want like enjoy this is about joy right this is about participating in something that makes you happy yeah, absolutely. And like, that is what Jaff really is to me. Like, I can't tell you how many Jaff stories I have consumed in the times when I am feeling like the most anxious or, you know, sad or whatever. And it's just, it is a constantly a source of, of joy to read these stories and read these characters that are so familiar to me, but then get put into different situations and you see them do something different. I guess the question that's closest to my heart, because I'm not a Jaff reader, and I told Sarah before this podcast, I was like, okay, your, your task is to make me a Jaff reader. My, <laughs> the question that's closest to my mind is, is, is Austin still with you in those times? Do you f still feel a strong connection to the source material? When I'm reading fanfic? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Even if it's a modern story, like if it's Austin set in a modern context, like I always feel that there's something something sort of essentially Austin that's being used in Jeff just because if you don't have that it's not it's not really Jeff like it's maybe like somebody using those character names but it's not going to mm -hmm. feel like Austin in some way and it's not necessarily that people have to you know write in the same cadence that Austin does or even use the story in the same way. Like you can you can take out bits of the story, you can take out characters, whatever. There's gotta be something sort of essentially Austin to that story to make it Jeff. So if and you're it, just saying this is like this is based on Pride and Prejudice, and like, okay, there's like people who have like intense banter with each other, and like that's that's fine, but it's not necessarily Austin. There has to be something there that the makes bones of the yeah. bones of the story or the bones of the characters. We have to feel that familiarity to sort of slide into it mentally. And you have to feel that like there has to be something deeply familiar to the characters or to the story to to write it that way. I just want to jump on something that you said about using reusing the characters' names because there are all these Hallmark movies and whatnot that are called <laughs> Christmas at Pemberley and they're nothing yeah. more than naming the characters Elizabeth and yeah. Darcy. And that has always bothered me and that's maybe sort of given me a sort of a negative impression of Jaff. I realized even at the time, you know, when I say this, I realized that it's unfair, but these Hallmark movies. And so... Well, uh, a lot of people have negative view of fan fiction in general, not just Jane Austen fan fiction, I think. Right. That's Maggie talking, right? Yes. It is Hi, Maggie. It is I. <laughs> I actually had trouble distinguishing your, your voice. Well, what I was going to say was... What, from having, your own? <laughs> no, no, no. From Sarah. Okay. Ha ha. Um, uh -huh. But... <laughs> 
But what I was going to say just now, having just finished watching Emma, you know, Emma in all capitals with a period after it, the new film that came out from Autumn Wild, having just finished watching it for the seventh time, <laughs> I, um, I realized, I know, I know it's true, but I realized that one of the reasons it rocked my world so much is, is it, it, was, it was the same story, but it was new. And I know we've talked a lot about that in the previous podcast, but I won't go in. So I won't go into that. But I realized every adaptation is also Jaff. Every good adaptation is Jaff, right? Yeah, I was thinking. About- I would say every adaptation is Jaff. It doesn't like the idea of good or bad is going to depend on. That's true. It's, it's going to be subjective, right? Like there's lots of fanfic that people think like this is the greatest thing I've ever read, and I'm being like. Eh. And there's fanfic that I think is fantastic. And I know people are like, "Eh, really? No matter how faithful your adaptation is, it's still Jeff because you chose how to draw those characters out, how to interpret them, even to how the lines land, even how the characters look and their tonality and their, their body language. It's all an interpretation. I just thought, oh my gosh, it changed my world. It like rocked my world. But like, no, you were saying. Sorry. I can, I, it definitely did rock Kristen's world. She's been texting me nonstop about it, basically. It's, <laughs> well, um, but I have uh, an establishing question. Have we, which is an establishing question for Sarah, have we established yeah. why we are interviewing Sarah? I don't think we did. So we need to do that. So Sarah, you need to tell, why are we talking to you? What is your involvement with Jaff right now? Um, so I am an editor of Jaff, along with being a reader of Jaff. And so I am intimately involved in helping people, helping writers shape their stories that are usually already written, which means I do a lot of digging deep into Jaff stories. And also I'm just sort of generally interested in how Jaff works and why it's important, because I think it is important and I think it gets a lot of derision from people who think that fanfic is dumb or stupid or, you know, not creative enough or not relevant enough. And then it gets a lot of derision also from academics who don't really see it as, I guess, a vehicle for learning and a vehicle for understanding what Austin means today mm-hmm. to people who are actually engaging in it. It seems pretty common that you have some people who come at things from an academic perspective. I mean, everyone that we've personally met in the Jane Austen academic field, they seem to also be clued into the kind of popularization and modern cultural impact it's had. But uh, maybe it's just my perception, but I definitely have this perception that there's kind of an academic white tower and they look down on us like plebes with our fan fiction and our podcast is not getting it or being, ugh, ugh, the fan fiction. And I think that there's a dichotomy there, right? Like we have, and, and just in Austin herself, like we have the highbrow Austin who is like part of canon and it's something that's studied. And Austin is, after Shakespeare, like the most important writer in English, I would argue personally. And then you have the so-called lowbrow side, which is like, the pop culture side where everyone loves an Austin adaptation or book and like you slap Austin's name on anything and people will buy it. There's that kind of tension that we're dealing with where both sides kind of like acknowledge the other one, but don't quite know how to meet in the middle. 
And that's where I'm interested in what happens in the middle and how we can make those two things kind of coincide a little bit more. Sarah, if you've ever been to Jasna, I think I would argue that that's kind of what happens in the middle because you get people from kind of all over the fandom coming together to talk Austin. And it was pretty incredible. <laughs> no, no. I, so, but I want, this is Kristen. I just wanted to say, I am so fascinated by the idea that when we write or we read some other, one of our contemporaries who likes to write fan fiction, we can learn more about the original story. We can learn more that gives us context for what Austin really meant. And I would love to, and I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but I'm a learner that, that really benefits from examples. Mm-hmm. So Sarah, is there like an example of when, what something you read that may, gave you an epiphany or gave you more context that really helped you understand the source material? The best kind of fanfics for me are the ones that really reveal something that you've never noticed about the original text. Yes. And those are the ones that really stick with me. And I'm just like, oh, and just make you think like, I've never thought of it that way. I can remember one that it's currently unpublished. I think she has plans to publish it down the line. It's a modern and it was basically swapping Elizabeth and Darcy's roles. So Elizabeth was the rich one. Darcy was the so-called poor one. And so their storylines were kind of swapped in a way. But what it made me think about was how deeply protective both of them were of their families that I had never seen in that sort of light before. You get so much more understanding of the depth of character and the stakes or the importance of what's going on within the story just from reading fanfic. I can totally see how you could be reading Austin and you can say to yourself, because we do it all the time. You could say to yourself, what if? And answering that question on a podcast is fun, but writing through that question can also be really illuminating, right? Yeah. And it's just, how do you want to do that? Like, what if you can, what if anything? It's like a butterfly effect. If you change this one tiny moment, what happens? And how how do their characters change? How do the trajectory of the story change? Like, That's why there's infinite ways that you can write fanfic. It's that you just take it a totally different way than anyone else has. So Sarah, I have a question. Mm -hmm. This is Maggie. I have a question. Have you ever written, Jess? (laughs) Have you ever written your own? I have not. That is not where my skill set is. My skill set is definitely in like analyzing and, and sort of putting the pieces of a story in the right way that's kind of have you ever been tempted uh I I wouldn't (laughs) okay so if I said you have to you have to write a jab I've tied you up in a chair and I'm forcing you to or I'm going to feed you something really gross and you have to write a jab (laughs) what what novel would you draw inspiration from Oh, definitely Pride and Prejudice. By okay, cool. like far and away, Pride and Prejudice <laughs> is the most fanfic of the six novels. 90% of Jaff is Pride and Prejudice and like the rest of the 10% is the other five. <laughs> like <laughs> that's not it. Me. So yes. Kristen, this is Maggie. I have a question. Have you ever written fan fiction, Jaff or otherwise? I've never written Jaff fan fiction. I have a, a I, I read Jaff fan fiction when I was young, like I was saying, in the Republic of Pemberley, and I got really sort of frustrated by it because I was looking for a continuation, and I felt that the people who wrote 
what I was reading in, as far as fanfic were getting it wrong. They were getting the characters mm. wrong. And also they're getting, what bothers me is the language and the cadence and, and usage, things like that. I really noticed, but as Sarah said, you know, that problem goes away if you modernize or if you do these other things, or if, if you just relax, Kristen, and don't freak out over every <laughs> use of the word, you know, Whilst. amiable, amiable or whatever, yes, whatever. So Kristen, Capital. you've never tried writing your own fan fiction before? You're really? Because I know you're a writer. I would never presume. Not even, uh, not, but not even Austin fiction. No. Well, and this is my Harriet Smith and Emma moment where I, I would, I say, I would never presume to aspire to, you know, elevating myself, to think that I am worthy, right? <laughs> And then you, the okay. Emma of the situation, says, yes, aspire to Mr. Knightley, aspire to write Jane Austen fanfic, um, and lead me into something at which I will fail spectacularly, because it's just I'm not just my a- level either. Well, I'm just surprised that you haven't perhaps tried your hand at other types of fanfic. But. The thing is, the thing is, I'm a, a perfectionist, and if something isn't 100% the way I think it should be. I'm frustrated. So if I try to fit myself into some kind of mold where it needs to make sense with other work that already exists, I'll get very frustrated. If I can make my own thing, then it really, there's nothing to compare it to. And I can't get frustrated mm-hmm. by saying it's not as good as this anyway. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare, but you know what I did. And I, w- I wanted to ask you about this, Sarah, uh, the book Fangirl by Rainbow Roll. Oh, is, it's so good. Oh, Sorry, I it's just, one of my favorite novels. I know. Let's fangirl endlessly over fangirl. But is this something that's been on your radar or when, when it came out? Like, what are your thoughts about it? I've read it. Um, I definitely understand fandom in general. And I think fandom, like, it gets you right in your feels. And it's so close to your heart because you you know, love these books so much and you feel so close to them. And I think when you're involved in a fandom, you can be like, like you're saying, like these people aren't writing the way that they're getting it wrong. (laughs) And you have like a certain idea in your head about how you should see a character or something. And that's a really delicate balance that a fanfic writer has to do is to know those expectations that a reader is expecting and still make it your own to fit into the story that you're telling. That's I don't even bit. know if it's just fan fiction writers who feel that. I'm sure that uh, authors of um, original series, you know, there's always that pressure for the last book. Yeah. And you're all you're always going to disappoint some people, right? Oh, this is ridiculous because it's not exactly how I thought it would end in my head. So fan fiction writers, it's interesting. I never thought about that. They must feel that same kind of pressure that a series author would to not let people down, to give the audience exactly what they want, hit all the beats. It must be very intimidating. I'm sure some people don't think about it, but I would find it very intimidating. And no, I've never written fan fiction. Not that either of you asked me, (laughs) but no, I have not ever written fan fiction. (laughs) But it must, I would feel kind of, Kristen was saying, you know, you want it to be perfect. For me, I would just feel such pressure to meet everyone's expectations. That's the difficult part, right? And I think that like fanfic writers always you know, get flack from people because, oh, they're not using, they're not coming up with their own original characters. And that's the big criticism against against fanfic. Like you're not being original enough and you're just like grabbing these other characters to use for your own. And it's just as hard as writing original characters because 
it's just a different like apples and oranges. You're using these characters, but you have that expectation in there that you don't have if you're just creating characters wholesale. There's other expectations that you that are on you when you're creating original characters that make fanfic and original writing the same kind of level of difficulty. Like it's hard. I don't know how yeah. I don't understand how people do it. Like I don't understand how writers create worlds out of their head I'm just like I'm constantly in awe of people who can do that Sarah as an as an editor what is the most common feedback you will give authors things that they can do to improve if, if that's the kind of thing that you do um I do it just it really depends on the story and on the author and usually Jaff writers have a very good handle on how they want you know their Elizabeth and Darcy to be and how all of the the Jaff writers that I work with have such a good knowledge of canon that they know sort of instinctively how to use the um, canon in their own work and keep it there, but also make it their own and make it fresh and different and interesting. I wanted to know about the... Um like the things that are absolute no-goes for you. Like, do you ever see someone take a character and just 180 degrees the, the wrong direction for that character as far as what's in canon? And do you point that out? And has there ever been a time that you've said no? Yeah, give <laughs> no, us don't. the juicy stuff. This is the <laughs> Tell us the juicy bits. Um, I don't know that there's ever been any time that I've been like, like maybe I've been like, I don't think your Darcy would do this. You're or... so nice, Sarah. You're the you're the you're the good cop. <laughs> I can I can only imagine editors who who hang out their own shingle have to be so respectful and careful, because authors actually, I mean I'm sure successful authors who've been doing it for a really long time have a little bit of a hardened skin. We're actually quite insecure, and so to hear something that's super harsh from an editor could sever their relationship, right? So I'm sure you're very tactful. Is that like someone I mean, calling you your baby ugly? If they're too harsh about your story, it's like they called your baby ugly, right? No, I was, I was saying, what's that to Sarah? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry. I just wanted to repeat my joke because I thought it was funny. No, but it is like a baby because because Austin, even Sal, even herself says about Pride and Prejudice, I've got my own darling child back from London. Yeah. And like, that's something I'm very cognizant of when I'm editing. Like the goal is not to destroy the manuscript and turn it into something that it's not. Like I need to preserve the voice of the author. I need to make sure the story is structurally sound. And I don't, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I will tell them things straight. And the thing about being a freelance editor is that if I'm not working with a publishing company, then the author is not beholden to my changes that I suggest. They can decide what they want to do. It is ultimately, if you're self-publishing, it is ultimately all up to you what you want to keep and what you want, what, what you want to change. So I give the suggestions and they could be like, okay, I don't think this would work. And the author and I might argue it out a bit. And they might say like, nope, sorry, this is, this is my call. And I'm saying it stays in. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's on you. <laughs> <laughs> You're like a judge in a reality competition where you give them advice and then it's like, okay, fine, you can take it or not, but I'll see yeah. you in the judging. <laughs> if you this have is really fascinating though. I had, I have never written anything. I've never self-published. Kristen, I know you have, but this is all kind of like a peek behind the curtain for me. Yeah. It's. Like I love, I love editing and I love being able to like dig deep into a story like that. But 
it is always like the goal is always to make sure the story is the best it can be and make sure that what I suggest and what the author wants are going to somehow coincide. <laughs> right. Um, and not that it's going to be like my way or the highway or anything, but like we want to kind of move it so that the story is, is strong and it's sound and you can't like people can't get at it right like you want to make it so that people can't criticize it as much as they could I mean people are always going to criticize but you want to make it so that it's defendable I I appreciate that though because that's why you do turn to an editor and and as an author you write something you're like I don't want to wait till it after it's published to hear all the plot bergs and all of the issues and all of the historical obvious historical mistakes that I made and and so do you do you also have I'm sure you have to call out the historical mistakes when you see them like you have a, a back catalog of knowledge about the you know just c conventions and um, common errors and I heard anecdotally uh, about an author who thought that um, there were actually enslaved people at Mansfield Park, the place in England. And that had to be, some editor had to say like, actually that, that you know, that wasn't the case in, he just owned something in Antigua where there's slaves there, you know, so, um, I'm, but I'm sure you, you've had to point out sort of issues like that. Yeah. So for the most part, um, Jap authors tend to be very meticulous in their research. The ones who are really serious about it go deep into research. So, and that's one of the things that I really love about Jaff is that people get deep into their subject and they are going back to source material from like the 19th century. They're going back to, they're checking laws, they're checking any kind of material that you could possibly think of to, to sort of corroborate what they're writing about. So I trust them on the history stuff for the most okay. part. There's some things I'll like, I'm, I'll maybe like check in on dates and stuff to make sure that they're accurate. So I'll just like literally Wikipedia it um, <laughs> to check dates. But for things like historical accuracy in language, I'm right. always checking that and I'm checking etymology of words to find out when they've been, when they mm -hmm. were in use. And if they weren't in use in Austin's time, then I flag it. Um, What's so the weirdest word you've ever had to investigate can you oh, think of I, any examples I, I'm like, just they, I mean, you must see some so I, well maybe not if you're saying they're so meticulous I'm just thinking some people must slip occasionally and put in a okay or a yeah or just something like that if it's I supposed say to be Jack people are very good about things like okay and yeah because they know the readers are also very well versed the in stakes things. are so high <laughs> yeah yeah and the readers yeah. are so they are so in it because they've read, they like Jaff readers just are voracious and they devour so much Jaff. Like I can't even, I have a spreadsheet of the Jaff that I have read and it is like well over a thousand and I'm, oh my I've God. Like, wow. lost counts and haven't, I haven't been keeping up with it. And like for some people, a thousand is a low number. <laughs> um, That's like, gosh. I'm not anywhere near the highest, like no way and no way at all. But they're, so the readers are really well-informed. The readers know their history. They know their language. They will call it out. Like you can read reviews where people will call out anachronistic language. So like Chortle. I was like, ask you about that too. Do you, if you do post something and it has an accurate, are we talking about kind of a rabid fandom that will chew you up and spit you out? Or are people generally just kind of like, oh, you know, good effort, but, 
or is it like, how dare you post this here? (laughs) I mean, there's always going to be people who are just kind of mean spirited in any kind of fandom for the most part. I do trolls. Yeah. But for the (laughs) most part, I do think that the fandom is really respectful of authors and, and of their work. It's in some ways probably a little bit easier to write a modern because you're not constantly checking etymology and right. and researching things that we are not familiar with in our time. I don't need to check the language that I would speak yeah. every day because I, exactly. I mean, yeah. Um, well, and this is funny too because I um so I as I've already stated get really thrown off by like the tiniest language issues that sound slightly different from the way Austin would have written it, you know, like you read Austin so often it starts it starts to become like part of your brain right like your own lexicography right but when I write fantasy my setting is like a Greco-Roman like alternate reality like it's clearly not earth like there's all kinds of bonkers stuff going on and so I write modern American vernacular dialogue because I think that gives it the best energy and that's the way I best express myself and so I sent my my manuscript over to my mother and she underlined a word or I used a swear word and she underlined it she's like did they have that word in ancient Rome I'm like oh my god your mom they also didn't didn't speak English you know what I mean like they they also didn't have magic mom (laughs) no right exactly they said things with the same intonation the same energy the same meaning and the same cadence as we would today they just said it in Latin or ancient Greek or whatever, but they understood it just as easily as we would understand it today. And so that's the, like the biggest feedback I get, but I, and it's funny that I have this contradiction that if we're in us, if we're in the land of Austin, which actually did exist and we know the way that they spoke and we have this preserved recorded, you know, text of, of exactly the way they spoke. And we're all used to hearing it that way. You do need to be accurate. But if you're writing a fantasy world, you don't. And I, this is the, the the distinction that I kind of try to make. And so it's funny that I can't let that go when in my own writing, I totally disregard it. I think, well, but I, I think, but Austin isn't fantasy. Well, I guess some people would say like there it, are things about it that <laughs> yeah. are perfect, but it's it's not fantasy genre, right? But you you get into it for the same reasons you can get into fantasy or sci-fi, and that is you're accepting the the rules of the world are different than your own world. That's a good point, Kristen. The world building. So you're entering into the world building. But it's just like because Jaff is an extension of Austin, if you are writing in that time period, it has to match up to Austin or it's going to be very, very glaring that it doesn't. Well, this isn't, I think you're making a really, and sorry, Sarah, but I just want to, that's something I never thought about, Kristen, with um, (laughs) historical fiction. Sorry, person we're actually interviewing, but I have to point out the point (laughs) that someone else made. Uh, But I never thought about that. Well, when you're reading historical fiction, it is the same type of world building because it's taking place in a, in a time and, and geographical location where the rules are different from where you are. Yeah. And so I never thought about that. There are vampires or you you can't marry a, pro- a person who is a clergyman and you're, you know, a daughter of a mysterious person who hasn't revealed. You have unknown parentage. So you're not okay, good enough. Kristen, like- sometimes there's both. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes, I'm sure Sarah will tell us, sometimes there is both. <laughs> there is. Okay. Okay. So I'm, I'm really into asking Sarah, you probably noticed, the not serious questions, but I want to know the, the juicy parts, like I was saying. So... My, I want to know what's the most buck wild thing that you've read, 
either as oh. an editor or just as a fan of Jack. But like, what's the craziest one you read? Oh, I mean, there are so many. Like, literally, if you can imagine it, it has happened in Jeff. Like, there are vampires, there are werewolves, there's uh, space, there's dragons, like, anything you can possibly imagine. Any, like, any permutation has happened. Any kind of pairing has happened. Everything. Everything is in Jeff at some point. It It is such, it's so huge that it is like encompassed everything. Is it weird to read modern romance tends to have very explicit sex scenes, right? Is mm-hmm. it weird to read Jaff that has sexually explicit things in it? Cause I think that would be so weird. Uh, no, not for me anyway. You're like, I'm no sure. girl. I I'm like, love that. That's why yeah, I'm here. Like, Helen Fielding said something after like the 95 Pride and Prejudice is just like you just wanted you just wanted to see Darcy and Elizabeth bang like that's all that's what you wanted (laughs) at the end of that yeah that is a lot of fan fiction where you just you just want to see them bang there's so much mutual tension actually it sounds like that's why I went to the Republic of Pemberley yeah. <laughs> no, it's true. Dude, but I ha- <laughs> well, you know, you just have this curiosity. I mean, you're 14, but and they had such an electric chemistry, right? But I have I have Maggie read fan fiction unintentionally. Somebody bought me, they saw on the shelves a book called Pride Slash Prejudice that had a, like a bright pink cover and they're like, Kristen loves Pride and Prejudice. I'll buy this for her, that not knowing what it was. And I didn't know either what slash fiction was. Oh my God, um, this story is going amazing places. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I, I I started to read it and I was like, what do you know? Like this exists. And I'm sure the person who gave this to me did not know what this book was about, but it was amazing. But it was Bingley and Darcy who had, yes. it was still, it was still Darcy and uh, Elizabeth who were having the love story. But at the beginning, she's in a relationship with Char- Charlotte Lucas, of course, which is almost canon anyway almost and then um he and Bingley were in this loving you know gay relationship and um it was really compelling did your mom give you this book it was not my mom halfway through this was my sort of my non-starter uh Jaff Jaff experience though because halfway through the author took Darcy and took him to London and put him in some sort of club with like nine other characters that were clearly from like her other books and it it, like kind of killed the momentum for me and I'm like I don't care about all these other characters so I wound up putting it down and I never actually finished but I still have it Uh, maybe I I should give it another chance maybe I should give it another chance okay Um, we're gonna do a special plaguecation episode where Kristen (laughs) and I read portions (laughs) no I'm just kidding we're not gonna yeah I mean check it out I thought it was I I thought it was good I just it wasn't what I wanted, which at that time was just all Austin all the time, only Austin, only good Austin, only like believable Austin characters. And hey, I have to admit, I, I stuck with it, even though it was Darcy and Bingley. That was a relationship that you actually really want to. They have great chemistry, right? They oh, have yeah, a mystique. That, they, sure. have a, they have a very odd couple sort of dynamic that you want to see investigated as well. So you just made me remember that, Maggie. I actually forgot about that. But I have a question for Sarah. Unless oh, you want to, what? Who? Who's Sarah? Sorry. No. Oh, Sarah. Sorry. Unless you want to comment, Sarah, on my experience. Yes, please comment on Kristen's experience. Uh, I'll, I will say that 
Jeff gets a bad rep a lot of the time because a lot of people see it as just um, like porn about Elizabeth and Darcy yes. generally um, because most of it is about Elizabeth and Darcy. But I really love the variations that will like dig into their relationship and dig into the more intimate side of things because I think it's important to that relationship. And like, because we have always wondered like what would happen, what happens after they get together? How does all that like simmering tension resolve itself? I think it's an important thing to have sex in the relationship and to have it be shown for a lot of reasons because, you know, fanfic and Jaff are primarily female or like female written and female audience. And it allows that sexuality to be authorized in a way like that you almost don't have to feel bad about it because you're reading Jane Austen but it's also it uh, like sort of allows sex to be acceptable for people who might not find it acceptable it's wish fulfillment Um, right yeah it's kind of wish fulfillment as well like it's always like you wanted if, if you ever wanted to see this happen here you go well Kristen you said you sought out Jaff because you wanted to know what happens next Yes, I wanted to know what happens next. And and Darcy and Elizabeth are such compelling characters, and and you just don't want the story to end because you want to continue to be with them and go on their journey journey of discovery about each other. And and I, I said before, oh, I wanted to see them have sex. That that wasn't really true. I just wanted more time with them together. But if that included sex, I was certainly going to be interested in how that yeah. went. Well, I but think a what lot Sarah of... is saying and what your reason for going is probably very common. Like, that's why people seek it out. Yeah, we need and more. Well, it was those... this feeling of we need, I need more, I need more, I need more, you know. And I think that's totally valid. There's only so many times you can watch Emma and Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> I um, wonder if, because we didn't have, I made a crack about Kristen having the internet when she was a teenager. But I did not have a computer of my own until college. We had AOL dial up, you know, when in 1995, we certainly did not have the capability for me to go online to read fan fiction. And I wonder if I did, if I would have fallen into that rabbit hole. I bet you would have because you were already reading, you were already reading Star Trek novelizations and Star Wars oh, novelizations. Oh, Kristen, that was sixth grade. Come on. <laughs> but I'm saying that's the same. I'd, I'd moved on to Dragon Riders of Pern. <gasps> oh, my God. Dragon Riders of Pern. <laughs> oh, well, my God. Time. Uh, I was deep into the high fantasy by night. But you totally would have been. But by that, but at that time, Maggie, it wasn't being published yet. It was just posted online. But, yeah, but that's now. I probably would have found it. You're right. I mean, right now, now it's a whole, it's a publishing industry. There are physical books. There's pub, there's publishing houses for, for Jaff and, and it's become so much more mainstream. And so I don't, actually, that's a, that's a, um, that leads me to a good question for Sarah, if you don't mind, Kristen, um, has the rise of physical publication of Jaff changed the online industry at all that you've noticed, Sarah? Um, I don't know. It comes a lot like uh, most of it is sort of fed from the online um, fanfic sites. So once sort of self-publishing really became a thing, we started to see, and we still see a lot of um, people still posting online and they'll post their, they post their stories generally serially. 
Um, so over the course of weeks or months, years in some cases. And then once it's finished, then they will take it to publication. And so it's already kind of been vetted by the community in a way. Uh And like they've had feedback on it. And so a lot of it comes from there. Now we're getting, I think, more people who come in and don't do the online thing anymore and are just writing sort of independently. And so they write on their own and then they maybe send it to beta readers or to critique partners or to editors. And then they never post it online. They just put it out. So I don't think it's like affected the quality of the stories online or the quality of the stories that are being published. It's just, we're just seeing so much more. There's always, there's more, more, more coming out because Austin fanfic is like a cottage industry in publishing in itself. Oh, right. For sure. I mean, everything Austin related. really. Yes. This leads me to my next question, and it may require some clarification for the listeners, but I wanted to ask Sarah about tropes, specifically your your favorite Jaff tropes. Okay. Um, but I don't know that everybody knows what a trope is. Oh, I like this question. A trope is sort of a convention that you see coming up often within a genre, so for me, it's sort of it's sort of like a building block for a story. So if you say a trope like forced proximity where people are stranded together or something, that in itself is going to tell you sort of the through line of the story. Like they're going to be trapped together. They're going to be forced to talk to each other and they're going to discover more about each other and boom, happiness at the end. And so that trope in itself will give you the storyline and it's up to the author to mix those tropes together. And so you'd have a bunch of different tropes working at the same time. So a trope essentially is just shorthand for an element of a story like, for example, enemies to lovers is a trope, which you would also recognize in... Pride and Prejudice, right? Because they're enemies to lovers, right? I would disagree on that. I don't think okay. they're enemies to lovers because I don't think they are ever they ever despise each other. Um, it does for like twelve ooh, hours. Really, we can have a whole podcast about this question. And are there tropes in Austin? Like, are, are there recognizable tropes in Austin at all? Yes, because Austin is basically um, like for me as a romance editor. Austin is basically like the ur text for yes. all of romance. So she really sort of sets up these tropes um, really early on. And then people just keep borrowing from her and sort of being inspired by her to write their own romances down the line. Um, so you're saying so she created story. her own genre, essentially. Yeah, like I don't, I would, I personally wouldn't call her a romance writer, but I would say she is absolutely foundational to the romance. Mm -hmm. So we see like a lot of the tropes that Austin uses. So like friends to lovers, for example, we can do Emma Knightley there. We can do like estrangement, um, persuasion, sort of love at first sight, if you want to do that for like Marianne and Willoughby. So things like that, like those are things that people borrow from all the time. And Austin did not create these things, but they are so foundational to to romance tropes down the, that come out down the line that a lot of them do get inspired from Austin. Well, they may not be enemies to lovers, um, Lizzie and Darcy, but 
I feel like they, you know, just you can draw a straight line from their story to something like Sam and Diane on Cheers or, yeah. the, you know, the couple that they start the just kind of bantering and bickering and fighting, but crackling with tent with energy. And then it turns into love later. So do you have favorite tropes that are just like catnip to you? <laughs> um, I like a, I like a forced proximity trope where they are like stranded together and have to learn more about each other. A big one, it's not my personal favorite in Jaff, is the forced marriage scenario where they oh. are like, compromised in some way and they have to marry each other and then they have to learn how to get along. That's a huge one in Jaff. Um, kidnapping is big in Jaff. Oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> is this Jaff or is this Gothic? <laughs> I mean, and like you can have those elements, right? Like yeah. anything you can, like I said, anything you can imagine has been done in Jaff. Christine, I, um, what were some tropes that you think you would like? Well, I hesitate to bring her up because people maybe shouldn't read her. I mean, she is really problematic. But before I knew that, I was reading a lot of Georgette Heyer. And I, I just bring her up because she is the class, she to me is the classic illustration of having a favorite trope. Because Georgette Heyer wrote so many novels, like 40 novels. And as I was working my through, way through them, I noticed that in like half the novels, somebody gets sick and then someone else nurses that person back to health and then they fall in love. And it was just clearly her her jam. Like she loved yeah, the story and she kept writing it over and over. Um, my favorite, uh, I don't know if this counts as a trope, but I've said it on the podcast before, is I, I am a sucker for when the the like male character is very withholding. So he's very like cold and distant. And then by degrees sort of like falls in love and that changes him, right? So it's kind of like a Knightley or a Darcy um, kind of a situation where a woman changes a man. Like, oh, makes no. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I know no, it's, it's bad. A, it's a safe space. Remember, it's a safe space. No, it's bad. It, you're, but you're right. <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like you, you, that's my thing. I don't know if it has a name though. It, it's um, when the guy is mean to the girl, but then falls in love with the girl because she's just so awesome. He can't deny it anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe he's like, just mean because he wants to fight. I can't fight this feeling. Well, anymore. okay. So here's the thing with Knightley though. And I think the most recent adaptation sort of makes this clear. He's got all of these feelings for Emma, but he does not know where to put them. And it naturally comes out at, as him sort of being critical of her right. because he can't express his love for her, but he's also just paying attention to everything that she's doing and what he can express is criticism. Um, and she's just like his, his whole world essentially. And just to see him like working through that emotionally, something about that is really touching to me. Like people who are like internally emotionally going through stuff and conflicted. I don't know. That's my thing. I don't know if it's a trope. I don't know if well, it's a trope I don't think either. I have any tropes. Not that either of you ever asked me. <laughs> God, Poor I'm Maggie. also happy listing here. Sorry, Maggie. <laughs> I was... want to know my opinion? No, to I'm be kidding. fair, I was entirely <laughs> intending to ask you, but then I got so interested in myself <laughs> because I am really interesting and I all. <laughs> I know, Sarah. Please. <laughs> you know, I, have any, 
I've been trying to think about instead of listening to you guys, I was thinking about myself and I don't know if I have any, um, that's a joke. I don't, I don't know if I have any jobs. I do like sexual tension between characters like Mulder and Scully was kind of my first OTP, my first one true pairing. Cause they had that amazing chemistry. So maybe I'm just a sucker for a, a, a couple that just has that kind of crackling chemistry. Like we were but saying can't get together. Is it work, work chemistry? No, not, it doesn't have to be work. It's just one of my first examples I can think of. Um, yeah, I think you, you know, I, like I do really thing. like found families. That is something I like in any kind of media, like television or reading. I love the idea of found families. So Emma is actually a really good example of that, I think, uh, where it doesn't have to be blood where you find your family. And in fact, you know, her sister is not someone that she is particularly super close to it seems like it's more the people that you choose to be with so that is something I like in all types of things I don't know if there's well there's actually more of that in Austin than I think you would imagine that there is I, I really think that we need to let Sarah talk but I have to say this one I'm sorry I have to say this one more thing it is so is it so amazing that you brought that up Maggie because right before we got on this call as I was finishing Emma again I was started to think about how Austin is not romantic because it's the union of two good-looking people who are sexy and sexed up for each other it is the union of people who think alike who are really right-minded people who are surrounded by by all the noise and clamor of all the ridiculousness around them all the time, but they look at each other and they see a recognition of what's going on. And they're they're on the same. I'm trying to say it in a way that's not not hackneyed. Not say like on the same wavelength, but they have a recognition when they look at each other. They both understand perfectly what's going on around each other and in each other's minds. And it's that kind of connection that's so sexy. Right. Well, I think, and sometimes it takes the entire novel for them to reach yeah, for that, that to happen. Yeah. What do you think, Sarah? I like, I have a whole, basically a thesis in my head about how Pride and Prejudice is all about parody between Elizabeth and Darcy. And like, that is exactly what it is. Like they are both mistaken together. They are both um, prejudiced together. They're both prideful together, like, and they're going at the same pace. And so when they meet at the end, they are in the same place where they are both as in love with each other as like each one is as in love with each other as the other one is. And so it's this like total marriage of minds where they are totally on the same wavelength. And that I think is why I love Pride and Prejudice so much. There's is so because much they get there symmetry. at the same time. Yeah. Yes. And they both have to change. We've talked about this before, but one of the really astounding things about Pride and Prejudice is it's not just him changing for a good woman or her changing to be worthy of the rich guy. They both change together and for yeah, each other. And that's the best. That's the best part about Pride and Prejudice. That's why, like to me, that's why it's so perfect. Is that she does it so beautifully and she makes it so symmetrical that you can't help but be like in awe of it by the end. Yes, these people are just meant for each other and everything about it is just them realizing how much they're meant for each other. (laughs) Well, it's also really good writing. It's character development of both your, it's not just one person's arc. They both have arcs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I think, especially from the adaptations, we tend, and like the more recent adaptations, we tend to see a lot of Darcy's side 
and how much he changes, but I think it's a, it gets underplayed how much Elizabeth also changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I what agree. do you think about persuasion, Sarah? I mean, I know a lot of, excuse me, people think it's the most romantic novel. Why doesn't it get the same fanfic love? I don't know. It's a I downer. Think, <laughs> yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not as like electric as Pride and Prejudice is. It's not, it's a lot more, um, Pride and Prejudice is so, I don't want to say like rollicking, but it's, it's just got this pace and it keeps, it's going and going mm-hmm. and going and yeah. persuasion is it's so sparkling, much more measured. Right? It's yeah, It's like champagne. Yeah. It's like the, it's the most expensive, diamond. beautiful, wonderful, well-made champagne. And to me, persuasion requires much more emotional labor on the part of the reader. Yes, it does. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, here's another question too, unless you want to say more about persuasion. I was also going to ask you, there's so much comedy in Austin. And I, and I feel like the comedy often in Jane Austen fanfic can take a a very far back seat to the development of relationships, the development of romance. What do you, how do you see that? Do you feel like a lot of Jeff authors are bringing in hilarity? Um, I think there's always like, I think most people have something kind of, there's always funny moments, right? Like I would argue that a, most Jeff is basically a subgenre of romance. It is always, is almost always concerned about how, two people come together. So you don't have, you don't often have a real comedy of manners. You don't often have those like high comedic moments like you have with like Mr. Collins or somebody in a lot of the fanfic. Um, Maybe they're missing this. They're focusing more on the romance and not so much the satire. Yeah, I would say that. And that's fair. I mean, people can, people come to it for different things, right? Yeah. And I think also because it's a, like it's a genre of, essentially written almost almost exclusively not totally by women and the audience is primarily women that I don't want to say that only women will enjoy romance but it's something that we kind of understand and it's the part that I think maybe gets us at the very beginning when we're first getting introduced to Austin is that the thing that we can kind of really um cling on to easily rather than like what's going on underneath with those like 19th century manners and the comedy inherent in them. No, completely agree because I mean, the thing about Austin is this, this sort of scholarly sort of take on it. It you talk about the context and when she was writing, I mean, all that stuff is interesting, but to me, it's always been, yes, the romance, yes, the, 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 the emotional resonance of it, but also how you can take the morality of it, the, like the personal applications of morality in Austin. That's what I've been interested in. And I just feel like Jeff is not as universally, universally applicable in, in that it's just someone writing an entertaining story that might in, involve Jane Austen's characters. But I have to say that having read my, the only other Jeff I've really ever read is Lona Manning as, as, as we've already know, we've had her on the podcast she, definitely when reading that story, I was challenged to ask myself, would this character have really done this? Would this character have really made that decision? And that still allows you to take Austin's story and Austin's ideas and interrogate them. Yeah. And so that's still interesting and fun and enjoyable, I think. Yeah. And I think 
fanfic in Jaff fan Jaff specifically is doing like it's doing work in that the author is trying to say something, whether it's about interpersonal relationships or it's talking about what women have to bear in this kind of restrictive society, or it's talking about if we go to Mansfield Park, it's talking about like what are the implications of slavery and how do you grapple with those things and how do we sort of reconcile these characters who maybe are involved in something, are involved in enslaving people across the world and are still here. And how do you relate to those people? How do you watch other people relate to those people? And what does that say about us? What does it say about how Austin treats that story, how we treat that story? Like there's a lot of layers of fanfic rather than just you could have that like pure entertainment level of just like I just want to read a story about these people and I just want to read a story where Darcy and Lizzie bang. Yeah, but there's yeah. always <laughs> something else going on underneath, right? Like there's a reason why that author decided to write about them doing having sex in a certain way or like getting into whatever the situation is that got them into the sexual part of it, what is that, what is the kind of work it's doing? And there's always work underneath. So do you think that the, you said earlier that if you can imagine it, there's been Jaff of it. To me, that is actually a statement on the quality of Austin's original works how the worlds are so real and she's given us all the tools we need to just create anything you want in her sandbox. Uh, Do you see it that way? Because to me, it's just kind of showing how amazing she was that we've now spawned this huge resource of other work inspired by. Okay, so what's the question? The question is, do you agree with that statement? Yes or no? (laughs) (laughs) Let's rephrase the statement. That the reason why there's so much Jaff is because Austin is so awesome. Yes or no? I mean, yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> Thank you for joining us like, on this question. <laughs> Thanks for coming to Maggie's TED Talk. <laughs> no, my TED Talk would be much longer. <laughs> I, mean, I think if the question you're asking is like, does fanfic maybe prove that Austin is enduring or like has this universal appeal that she can kind of be placed anywhere and she you can do anything with her and with her works I think that's a question that we can't necessarily answer I see it more as evidence of the quality of the original work not necessarily like it just it's so well done And the characters are so well-written that 200 years later, we have all of these separate stories that have taken all the bones and just created all these different creatures from them to torture the metaphor. Um, I guess what the problem is, it wasn't really a question. It's just a statement where I believe that unless you have excellent and amazing source material, it cannot support all of this subsequent work. 
Yeah, like I, I, I wouldn't ever argue that. No, Austin, uh, Austin doesn't do that because, like, obviously, I'm an Austin fan, and I appreciate what her works do, and I appreciate the work that fanfic does. But yeah, I think the interesting part of it is that we can still make it applicable to our time, and like it's sort of endlessly applicable and endlessly um replicable in in some ways and that is the part where I find it more most interesting is that we can constantly do this to her story do you ever read any other types of fandom Sarah or do you have time I mean this is kind (laughs) of like your 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 job and your hobby I'm not in any other fandoms right now I have been in fandoms in the past Back in the day when I, my first intro into fandom was probably like Star Wars and Buffy and Alias. And so like, oh my gosh, the wigs, right? Oh, so good. So many wigs. But like, my thing is always badass lady and guy who is her equal in every way, but still in awe of her. That is my thing. That's your trope. That's my thing. (laughs) <laughs> I like it. Sarah, I was just wondering, I would love now that I am excited to read more Jeff, some recommendations would be really helpful. Okay. Oh, yes. Oh, okay. Okay. So the kind of gateway drugs into Jeff that I think most people kind of start with and Wait, get do we really... need to do a disclaimer? Like we're not responsible for any lost time or income that comes yes, from... Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, apologies in advance. Um, so the first two that kind of, um, people really sort of get hooked into are Abigail Reynolds, who's been in the fandom for like years and years and years, kind of like the mother of the fandom, really. She's written tons of variations over the years and like, you can find her books in libraries. She's still writing. Her books are in Kindle Unlimited. Kindle Unlimited is a huge place for Jeff, like lots of Lots of Jaff writers, probably, I would say, like, a majority of them put their stuff in Kindle Unlimited. So I believe Abigail Reynolds is in there. She has done, like, every sort of variation. The other one who is, like, the one who really gets you in is Linda Wells. And she writes super, super long books. And I kind of adore them. My favorite is Imperative. It is far and away the Jaff I have read read and reread the most. It is like my comfort blanket. I go to it when I am like anxious or sad or like I just need a warm hug because it's this crazy long novel. It's in two parts, both like volumes or 700 pages. It's How? great. She's also writing one right now. She's been writing it for like seven years, I think. It's a World War II epic it's well over a million words. It's still oh being gosh. posted online. It's not done yet. I'm going to buy like all 10 volumes when they come out. She's like the I George R.R. R. Martin of Jaff. <laughs> she is like prolific. And like she constantly is very consistently putting out posts every like two weeks now. But Imperative is my favorite. It starts with Darcy compromising Elizabeth by kissing her and saying that they need to marry right away because Georgiana has become pregnant by Wickham and they need to cover it up. Oh my gosh. And her stories are great. 
for me because I am an angst weenie and there is like very little angst in Darcy and Elizabeth getting together with her stuff. And so they're together from the very beginning pretty much. And they like learn to, they learn about each other as they go along. And it's just like, it's great. And it's a world you can just kind of like roll around and live in for two volumes. So instead um, of finding plot contrivances to keep them apart, it's about how the two of them weather things together. Yeah. So I love it. I like it's that a lot. Mistaken by Jesse Lewis is one of the best Jeff variations I've ever read. Her Darcy in that one is probably my like all time favorite fanfic Darcy. He's just this great alpha character, but so gentle with Elizabeth and it happens right after the proposal and both of them can't stop thinking about each other, but they're trying to get Jane and Bingley back together. Bingley kind of falls in love with Elizabeth and what? it's, and Oh it's, my gosh. It's, it's great. And it's like beautifully written. She has such a, an Austin tome to her. It's very funny. It's very witty. There's a ballad in the middle of it about the Bennett sisters that is just like one of the funniest things I've ever read in fanfic. Um, it is fantastic. Heather Mall has a book called His Choice of a Wife. And Heather is also another person who writes, has such an Austin-esque voice. And she has like the diction and the cadence down perfectly. And she's good at the angst, but without like sort of killing you with it. And like when Darcy and Elizabeth are in together, they like once they realize that they are in and they are like on the same page, they're all in and it's just like beautifully done. For moderns, moderns get a bad rap in Jaff because I think people like to stay in Regency um, just because it's familiar and it's more sort of Austin like. But moderns, I think, do so much interesting work in like reinterpreting what Austin means to us today. So there's one called The Muse, which is like a mashup of the movie Center Stage and Pride and Prejudice. <gasps> oh so, my God. Yeah, 90s kids love it. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that is right in my Venn diagram. Thank you very yeah. much. So Darcy <laughs> is like this asshole choreographer and then Lizzie is a, a dancer in the core and he and she becomes his muse. And oh it's really, like, it's really steamy. It's really great. Um, it's, like, a Jeff classic. It's been around for years and years. That's so um, fun. Karen Cox writes all sorts of different eras of Jeff. So she has, like, Jeff set in the 30s. She has an Emma retelling set in the 70s. She has a Cold War one where Darcy and Elizabeth are spies. Karen writes everything. So she has really cool stuff. 1932 is uh, Depression Era Pride and Prejudice, wow. where Elizabeth marries Darcy for like economic reasons because her family has um, lost everything in the in the Depression. So that one is really good. I actually just read that for the first time, but it's also like a classic that had been up on the boards in online fanfic um, years and years ago. Who else? Aisha at last is a retelling set in my hometown in Toronto and it is a Muslim Elizabeth counterpart and a Muslim Darcy. Oh, I love and that. It's 
gorgeous. Like I, it was one of my favorite books of 2018, I think when it came out, it's interesting because Darcy isn't super rich and he's, in an arranged marriage with the Lydia character because he thought that Lydia was the Lizzie character. And it's just, it's beautifully written. It's, it's really kind of like low key sexy. Like the tension Mm -hmm. is there. The, the like chemistry is there, but it, it doesn't go. It's not explicit in any way. Do you guys want more? (laughs) I I mean, you've given us quite a few. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you have, if you have a larger list that we could share on the Facebook page or something like that, do you, is there any resource online that you would recommend for people to go for like the top recommendations or do you have an online resource? I don't, but I can definitely give you names. The other thing I would mention is that Jaff in itself is such, like I mentioned is such an organized fandom that there's, there's actually an index of all of the Jeff that's pretty much ever been published. This woman and her husband have been compiling for, I think like 15 years. Oh my and goodness. Like it has, it's like cross-referenced and it has all of the tropes in there that you like, you can search by the tropes, you can search by like keywords, you can search by pairings. And it's, it's such a fabulous resource to have to find things that you might be interested in. Like, One of my clients just published a book yesterday. It's called um, I Never Knew Myself. It's by Melanie Rachel. And she, the trope is that Elizabeth is not a Bennett. So you could search by that trope and say like, okay, I want all the stories in which Elizabeth has been raised as a Bennett, but is not actually one. And so it'll, it'll pull up all of those stories and there will be a bajillion of them. I'm not sure how many, but it's like a bajillion. This is so Um, incredible. It's so rich. It's like you were saying, but just anything you might want. And then also if you go onto a happy assembly, if you're looking for a specific story, so like you've read a story years ago, but you forget it, you forget what it's called or where to find it. You can go onto this board and you can ask people like, okay, I remember this story where Darcy did this. And like, you could have like the minutest detail and somebody will be able to find it it's like having a jaff librarian and it sounds like this is basically an like an austin reddit pretty much yeah that's amazing okay i was gonna say it just sounds like an austin only goodreads but yeah exactly so wrapping up sarah one more question what is it you don't like about jaff so there's kind of like two answers to this um what i don't like about how it's perceived Mm -hmm. um and what I don't like about it sort of like coming at it from someone who's actually in the fandom so the perception of Jeff I think is that it's you know silly women writing about Austin because they can't think of anything else that they could possibly write about and they won't write their own stories and like I really want people to understand that this is a fandom that is so deeply steeped in Austin and care so much about Austin that they do so much work to really create these stories and really make them make them into something that is just as valid as any original story would be and it's just as valuable 
to the readers as well to have these stories and to be involved in this community that that puts them out and to support the people who put them out. Jaff is very sort of protective of itself and protective of its writers and its its stories. Like there's a lot of love in this fandom, both for the works, the works of fanfic themselves and of Austin, that I don't want people to think it's just silly women writing right. silly stories. It's so the first is kind of the perception that it has and or the way that maybe the people who write it are perceived yeah and what is your second then as someone who is like in the fandom I would say that the thing that I think we really sort of have to start to grapple with as a fandom is that it tends to be very white um very cis very very hetero like there's not a lot of diversity within the fandom and I think that's something that we have to start thinking about a little bit more because I'm in the romance space as well you we've kind of seen historical romance starting to deal with that and to start thinking about that in critical ways and how they can make their works that are set in like the 19th century and make them so that they reflect what it actually looked like in England in the 19th century and it was not all white and it was not all cis and it was not all het and it's not that we need to like shoehorn these things in and do it just for the sake of diversity it's that we have to do it because we want to actually reflect what it really looked like back then and make it as representative as possible and also make room in the forums and the publishing for people who are writing for authors who are people of color and uh, women of color and LGBTQ and make sure that there's room from the artistic production writing side for those different voices as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that people that readers want who aren't white or cis or het want to be able to see themselves in, in these stories that they love and not as like, not as stereotypes and not as caricatures, like right. or or just like not there at all. They want to be able to see themselves somehow and be represented accurately. I think that is an amazing point. I'm so glad you said that. Yeah, yeah. that's so awesome. It is really strongly strong call for that. Really beautifully worded, you know, sort of case to be made. It's not. We have to remember that these things. I mean, there's so much conversation going on in the romance writing world in general that I will not even get into. But it's because this really was the way that it was, and we have to reflect that. We have to reflect people's realities. I mean, Austin was about reflecting people's realities. That's what she was all about, and she would totally, I think, be interested in, even though she couldn't necessarily portray things this way, interest be interested in her world being portrayed realistically when we write about it today we have to acknowledge all these things and that was a really poorly worded um (laughs) agreement of what you said but but I think so much of what Austin writes about is like coded in ways that we don't necessarily we can't necessarily get at because we we aren't living in that time so I'm sure there's stuff in there that we don't realize yet that is there's stuff in Austin that we don't realize yet is speaking to something that we just don't understand. 
or we wouldn't know that it's referring to this particular thing. And that's where, you know, academics are doing great work in, in uncovering these things. Um, but it's, I, I do think that Austin would be thinking about these things and be interested in these things. And she, like, you can see how things like subtly get in and how her politics come in, in things like Mansfield Park and just in anywhere and how sympathetic she is to certain situations that are just, they're really subtly done, but yeah. they're there. It's just the humanity is there. And when like the basic humanity and compassion and kindness and, you know, clear eyedness, t- taking clear eyed look at where injustices are, Sort, you know, for her, a white woman, but she had certainly, she had the humanity to extend that to other viewpoints as well. She just couldn't, wasn't well positioned or, and also probably just couldn't, even if she wanted to. So Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. I think we're just about at the end of our interview. Uh, Is there a place where our listeners can find you online that you'd like to share? I am at loppedandcropped.com and lopped and cropped pretty much on everywhere, um, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we would be happy to share, I think, a link to probably the website from our Facebook page if people are interested in checking it out. Yes. And importantly, it's um, L-O-P-T and C-R-O-P-T, lopped and cropped. It's not the way you would spell this American. It's the way Austin wrote it in her yeah, letter when she I wrote, I have lopped and cropped it, right? Yes. Um, that is an excellent name, by the way. I <laughs> Excellent. So loving excellent. It. I loved it. I loved <laughs> it when I saw it. I was like, that's brilliant. It wasn't me. <laughs> that friend is a genius. You should buy him or her a cake immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, Sarah, thank you again so much for joining us. And you've given us quite a long reading list. So I think you will keep us busy for the next probably couple years. <laughs> well, it's good. You'll have lots to read in when we're stuck inside social distancing. Absolutely. We can social distance with Jeff. Yes. So thank you guys so much for having me. It's thank you such so a much pleasure for coming to talk here. to you. Yes, thank you so much.